Good morning. How are we doing today? Beautiful fall morning. We are in the fall season. Cannot believe that the weather is changing. It's still wet, but it is beautiful. And we are so glad that you've chosen to worship with us this morning. We want to welcome you. My name is Matt Watson. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're new, we're, we're glad that you're here. Um, this morning is a little bit of a different Sunday. We want to pause and take a couple moments before we get into our fall ministry to, to reflect and to kind of think about who we are as a church. We've talked about our mission statement some in the last six months, but we want to take a Sunday to really think about who we are, why we're doing what we're doing, and how you can walk with us as we pursue God's mission. Um, so let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll get started. Father, thank you for today. I'm thankful for every single person that's here. For those that have been coming for many, many years, I'm thankful. For those who are brand new to church or new this morning, I'm thankful. And God, we pray now that as we open up your word, as we talk about this church and where we're headed and what we do and why we do it, God, we pray that you would be our leader and that you would lead us and show us where to go, that we would grow closer to you and what we do and how we represent you in this community. What an exciting day to look ahead and to think about who we are. But God, we pause and we ask you, God, to be our ultimate leader, our ultimate shepherd, and to lead this church. We're so thankful, God, for how you love us how you sent your son for us. And so we give you today, we ask for your spirit to come and encourage us and speak to us. In your name we pray, amen. So we're gonna talk about this morning our mission statement, passionately pursuing Christ. And the more I've had a chance to reflect on this statement and to think about this statement, the more that I love this statement. I had nothing to do with crafting it, um, but as I've gotten to think about it and how it, it relates to what we do as a church, I think it fits perfectly to describe who we are and where we want to go. And so I'm excited. I'm excited to talk about this and to really think about how are we doing this? Like if this is our mission statement, passionately pursuing Christ, how are we doing that? Like if this, if this is central to everything that we do, what are we doing? What does it actually mean to passionately pursue Christ? And so I'm excited to think about it, to walk through this statement. I thought um, that I'd start by just giving you some observations that I've made on the statement. So if we are going to center ourselves around the statement, passionately pursuing Christ, some, some thoughts on what does it actually mean? Because if we don't know what it means to passionately pursue Christ, like what does it actually say and what does it mean that we're going to do, then it's going to be hard to fulfill our mission. So I'm going to give you a couple of observations, and then we'll talk about how we are going to do this as a church. The first one Ray talked about last Sunday, and I loved how he said it. Before we can passionately pursue Christ, you have to know, believe, and trust that Christ passionately pursued you first. Or like it says on the screen, Christ pursued you so that you can pursue him. Christ pursued you so that you can pursue him. We don't start with 
our pursuit of Christ. It's not like the first thing I should tell you is go pursue Christ. Now, before we can pursue Christ, we've got to understand that he pursued us, that he rescued us, that he sought us out. I think of the passage in Romans 7, wretched man that I am, who's going to rescue me? And what comes next? Christ Jesus. Thanks be to Christ Jesus. He's the one that came to us. We don't go to him. The first step isn't try really hard to get to know God. The first step is you've got to understand that Jesus Christ has pursued you. In your mistakes, he's pursued you. He's pursuing you in your faults and in your past and in your history and in the things that you've done wrong. Christ pursued you in those mistakes. And that's where the gospel starts. That's where passionately pursuing Christ starts. When you realize that Jesus came and he pursued you and he died to forgive you for those things and that your life begins when you accept that and you believe what he did on the cross for you, that's where passionately pursuing Christ begins with the gospel. And that means that as a church, if we're going to be passionately pursuing Christ, that means we've got to start, we've got to be centered on this fact that Christ pursued us. That means we're centered on this idea of evangelism. Right? Because if we're all about passionately pursuing Christ, that's not the first step. The first step is Christ pursued you in your sin and in your mistakes. And if as a church we're going after Christ passionately, then we start with evangelism and sharing the gospel and the fact that Jesus came after us when we were lost. Um, I remember, well, I have a confession here. Um, I once lost my daughter when she was a toddler in Ikea. Um, yeah, I know. It, I was a young father, a younger father, and <laughs> Caroline was a toddler, and I made a really a, a, beginner mis- a beginner's mistake. I went, oh, I went to Ikea. That would be a beginner's <laughs> mistake. But I didn't have a stroller, and I had my little toddler girl, and I was going furniture shopping. Okay, what an awful idea. Why would I do this? And so we go to Ikea. We get through that awful maze of all the furniture and displays. I just want to buy some furniture. And we were looking for a bed that day, um, and we get down to the bottom floor where all the furniture, you can just go and pick out your furniture, and I found the bed that I wanted. Well, I had thought maybe I could carry it on my own um, with my little toddler just walking all over the place, and I tried to pick up the bed, and I realized, no, Matt, nope, you can't do this. You have to get a stroller for for this bed. And I could see the stroller. It was right back there. Okay, and I'm exhausted walking around the store, the maze, and getting down to the... And Caroline is happily sitting right here by this furniture. And I see the cart. And I think, you know what? I'm going to take a shortcut. I'm, I'm going to just go get the cart. Now, don't judge me for this either, okay? Like, <laughs> I'm going to leave my... It sounds bad now that I'm saying it. <laughs> I'm going to leave my daughter here with all these strangers all around her, and I'm going to go get the cart because I can see it. 
So I go and I get the cart and I'm watching my daughter and I turn around and I get the cart and I rush back to the furniture and Caroline is gone. And, and you know, if you've experienced this, it doesn't take long of this feeling of, of looking for your child to start to panic. I'm, I'm starting to talk to the people around me. I'm going through the aisles. And then just after a few minutes, like it quickly um, ramps up. You get a little bit more nervous. And now I'm, I'm thinking, what is my wife going to say? You did what? You left your daughter? And I start to enlist some help from, I'm like calling anyone over. We have to find my daughter. I get the Ikea people to help. They're about to make an announcement on the intercom. I'm literally, the, the thought comes in my mind after a few minutes that I need to call the police because there's a lot of people in this store and I am worried. And all of a sudden I remember when we were at the furniture, something that Caroline was doing, something that my kids have always loved to do is um, not just play with the boxes on the front. They like to crawl in between the aisles. And Ikea is a perfect place to crawl in between the aisles with the boxes. And so right before I pick up my phone, I run back to the aisle. I crawl in behind the boxes in between the aisles. And there Caroline is as happy as can be. She made a little house. She's playing so happily. And I was relieved. But before that, I was the crazy dad, like, yelling all over the store, asking for anybody's help. And as I was thinking about that story, about how as a father, I'm pursuing my child. She's lost. And, and I'm doing everything that I can to find her. It made me think of what Christ has done, that he, in our lostness, in our lost state, he is doing everything he can. He's done everything he can to save us. And that he pursued us. He went to the cross for us. And if as a church we're passionately pursuing Christ, the starting point is Christ first pursued us. There's a couple parables that I, I like in Luke 15. And I just think this is such, this needs to be the heartbeat of passionately pursuing Christ. Um, this idea that Christ pursued us in our lostness. Luke 15, you don't have to turn there, but there's three parables. Maybe you want to read it later today, but it illustrates this point perfectly. In the Luke 15, you have three stories. Okay, the man, the shepherd who loses one of his sheep out of a hundred, the lady who loses a coin. And you, you see these stories of people losing things. Okay, how do you act when you can't find your phone? Oh, man. I've never seen teenagers move so fast. It's like they want their phone. When you can't find your keys, we frantically go after it. In Luke 15, we have these three stories about what these people do to find their things that they've lost. The lady who loses her coin. It talks about in Luke 15 how she flips her house upside down to find this coin. How the shepherd leaves the sheep to find the one. You know, I lost my keys a couple weeks ago. The worst possible time to lose my keys. Isn't that how it happened? It was a Sunday morning, right before I'm coming to church. It's like, it's time to go. I'm running behind. Where are my keys? And we flipped the house upside down, and of course, we found, we found nothing. We couldn't find them. So Ashley had to take me to, to church, and we finally found them. But we were so 
looking for these keys. We flipped the entire, the house was an absolute mess when we got home. And it's like when we think about what Christ has done for us, we need to think of things that we've lost and how we quickly, feverishly go after things. And that's what Christ has done for us. He pursues us just like that even more though. My second observation, passionately pursuing Christ emphasizes the importance of your heart and desires in the, in the pursuit. Passionately. I love this word passionately. And I talked about this a few weeks ago, how, how God's not interested in us just pursuing him, but that our heart is so important in the pursuit. He's not interested in mandatory obligation. Just like your spouse isn't interested in you mand- with mandatory obligation going on dates with them. Your spouse wouldn't like that. Well, it's the third Friday of the month, hon. I know we agreed to it, so we better, at six o'clock, we better, like, that's not how relationships work. That's not a good idea to act like that, okay? Christ isn't interested in mandatory obligation. Jesus talks about this constantly, specifically with the Pharisees, okay? The Pharisees were religious rule followers, and Jesus was not interested because their hearts weren't there. There's a really interesting passage uh, that talks about the, the Pharisees. Matthew 15, 8 and 9. You can turn there if you want. I'll read it. It says, the people, These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Just think about this statement. He's saying, here are these people. They worship me. They are teaching my word. They're obeying my commandments, but the word, he says, they're wasting their time. In vain, they do all of these things. Even though they're worshiping, even though they're teaching, even though they're obeying, because it's their lips and not their heart, Jesus says, you are wasting your time. When we moved here, um, we had to get our licenses and and, uh, license plates at PennDOT. Oh boy, that's like a part-time job. I mean, all of the forms we had to find, we were really strategic about how we did this. We had to have bills proving our address, and so we had to go to our apartment complex and get a, a bill. We had to fill out forms and make copies of things. I think we, I learned from my IKEA mistake that I'm not gonna, we're not going to bring our kids to PennDOT, so we had childcare lined up while we go to PennDOT, and we lined everything up. We were going to do this Monday morning because before we could do these other five things that we needed to do, we needed our registration, we needed our license plates, and we needed our, li- and then we needed our licenses. So we lined everything up, 9 a.m. on Monday morning, kids are in childcare, and we go to PennDOT, and you know where this is going. PennDOT's not open on Monday mornings. A gigantic, everything we had planned hinged on Monday morning, getting our licenses, and we had completely wasted our time. We pull in the parking lot, and we're like, well, now what are we going to do? Well, let's go enjoy the time. Without the, let's go have a date. <laughs> Wasting our time. And that's what Jesus says. He says, if you're, not, if you're just pursuing and you're not passionate, it's in vain. You are wasting your time. Jesus calls us to passionately follow him. Our hearts are important. How we feel about us 
going after God is important. And I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying you're always just like beyond excited to read your Bible and beyond excited to come to church. Like I realize that that's not a reality. It's not a reality for me. It's not a reality for anyone. But your heart is still important. If you're begrudgingly pursuing Christ all the time, something's not right. You don't see much begrudging, forced worship in the Bible. Like, you don't see a lot of people in the Bible, like, pushing themselves to to pursue God. Instead, you see the psalmists who say, I will give anything to spend a moment with you, God. You've got 2 Corinthians 9, 7. It says, God loves a cheerful giver, not one who begrudgingly does his duty. God's, the heart is important with God. There's a passage that I love in Hebrews 10, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of our faith. He's saying Hebrews 10, it's, really, it's like a hinge passage in the book of Hebrews. In the book of Hebrews, you've got the first nine chapters talking about the way that we used to get to God through the temple and the veil and the holy place. And he's saying Jesus came and he changed everything. Changed how you can know God and hear from God and be in his presence. And he's saying, therefore, now that it's so much easier, draw near to God with a true heart. Not saying it's not doesn't mean honest. He's saying a full heart, like an undivided heart. That when you go to God, that it's it's genuine, it's whole. How you feel, what you think about is important. Because if it's if we're just forcing ourselves, again, you go back to Matthew 15, we're wasting our time. That's what he told the Pharisees. Thirdly, being human, we passionately pursue all sorts of things. And let me say this, this is okay. I'm not saying, don't, I think the next step is to say, well, we shouldn't passionately pursue things. Well, no, it's part of being human. We passionately pursue things, all of us, different things. Maybe you passionately pursue hunting. Maybe you like football or decorating or the stock market or your family or movies. I don't know what you passionately pursue. Someone asked me the other day what my hobbies were. You know, I, and I am passionate about the things that I love. I love Clemson Tigers. I love watching college football. We grew up in a family that we watched Clemson. My parents, my dad went to, the, to Clemson, my brothers went to Clemson, and I was a major disappointment. <laughs> but we would literally center our calendar around the Clemson Tigers, watching them, going to the games, tailgates, cheering for the Clemson Tigers. Another thing that I'm... I'm enjoy is grilling on my, my green egg. I have a smoker that my granddad willed to me when he passed away, and he willed to me his beautiful ceramic green egg. And I enjoy cooking on this green egg. I love, think, I love talking to other green eggs. The green egg community, if you know it, it's kind of a weird community, okay? <laughs> there is a, a lot of people who love grilling on the green egg, and they talk about it. There's websites, and they communicate all the time about techniques and strategies. Now I feel weird that I'm sh- all about the green egg, and I love smoking meat and pork and turkey on my green egg. I love getting up before the sun comes up and sticking the turkey for Thanksgiving on the green egg. These are things that we passionately follow, and we all have different things 
that we care about. We all have different things that we pursue, and it's okay. It's okay. But I want to think about it. Okay? We all love things. Every person in every culture in all of history, we like things. We're passionate about things. But I want to stop and I want to just consider that the things that we love were created by God to point us to him. That the things that we passionately pursue aren't ultimate. And the things that we passionately pursue should point us to the one that we should be ultimately passionately pursuing. Here's a quote by Paul David Tripp that I love. And it talks about how these things that we pursue should point us to our maker. He says, every awesome thing in creation is designed to point you to the one who alone is worthy of capturing and controlling the awe of your searching and hungry heart. As it is true of a street sign, so it is true of every jaw-dropping, knee-weakening, silence-producing wonder, inspiring thing in the universe. The sign is not the thing that you're looking for. No, the sign points you to what you are looking for. You can't stop at the sign, for it will never deliver. That thing it is pointing to will deliver. It's okay to passionately pursue things, as long as it's not the ultimate in your life. As long as you don't just stop there. It, we don't, I like the illustration there about the signs. Like we're, We don't stop at the street sign. We don't stop at the Hershey Park sign and say, welcome to Hershey Park, kid. Here it is. We get the sign. It's like, no, we go into the park, and the things that we passionately pursue should point us to the God who loves us endlessly. Fifthly, we passionately pursue things that we are in awe of. And this is so important. You don't have to be reminded to pursue the things that you love. The things that we just talked about, you don't have to be reminded. If you love hunting, I promise you, your spouse is not waking you up the Monday after Thanksgiving saying, it's time to go hunting, honey. It's that day. They're not reminding you. I promise you, Ashley never reminds me when Clemson's going to be on TV. She never has to nudge me like, oh, don't you think, don't you know Clemson's on? No, because I know, because I love the Tigers. I love watching them. We pursue things that we are in awe of. Say it another way. We become what we behold. And I love this idea of beholding. I did a little research in the Bible about beholding. This idea of slowing down and being in wonder and amazement and being in awe of what God's done for us in Christ. Beholding, like loving something. There's a couple passages about beholding and about being in awe that I, I love. Habakkuk 1.5. Look, that's the word for behold. Look among the nations. See, wonder, and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. Psalm 66, 5 and 6 says, Come and see what God has done. He is awesome in his deeds toward the children of man. He turned the sea in dry land. They passed through the river on foot. They, there did we rejoice him. This picture of behold, of stop and slow down and be amazed at what God has done. We pursue things that we are in awe of. And then lastly, just a couple more points. We pursue a God that wants to be known. We pursue a God that wants to be known. John 17, 3. This is eternal life, 
that they know you, the only true God, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent. We are pursuing a God who wants to be known. He wants to reveal himself to us. What an incredible thing to think about, that God has revealed himself to us and that we can know the God who made us. And then sixthly, Jesus changes how and what our pursuit of God looks like. And I've talked about this in Hebrews 10. Jesus Christ changed how we can do it. The the pursuit of God in the Old Testament and before Christ died was different than our pursuit today. There was a veil. There were two veils. And the process to get in the presence of God was complicated. They would wash themselves and they'd go into the first veil. And they'd have the candles and they had the bread. And the process was complicated. And then you had the inner veil and the holies of holies. And only the high priest could go into that veil once a year to be in front of the presence of God. It was complicated. And things have changed. Things have changed. The way that we can pursue him and know him and be in his presence is much easier through Christ. The veil has been torn. We don't need a high priest. We don't need to wait for a special day of the year. Now, daily, moment by moment, we can be in the presence of God. This is who we're passionately pursuing. And so for us as a church, as we just start to think about what does it mean to passionately pursue God and Christ, we need to talk about how we're going to do this. But the danger when you start talking about how, and you can put up my next points here. The danger, like these are the ways that we've decided that we're going to pursue Christ. But the problem or the challenge with with checklists is I know how checklists work. Some of us are very detailed and organized and like to accomplish things and get things done. And we look at a list like this and we say, okay, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to go to worship. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be in a community. I'm going to be on mission. And we just want to check boxes. But remember, it's not about, as a church, as our leadership, it's not just about you doing these things. Because remember, you can do these things and waste your time. You can do every single one of these things. And it can be in vain because your heart is important. But remember, we worship things, we pursue things that we're in awe of. So the goal for the church is not just to accomplish tasks. The goal is for you to be in awe of Christ through doing these different things. To experience Christ through doing these things. To experience him. Experience his beauty and his wonder through reading his word. And so let's talk a little bit about each of these. Biblical teaching. Okay, these are the questions I want us to think about with all all of these purposes, or the, the way that we're going to accomplish our mission. How does this help us to be in awe? Because remember, that is the it's not just to do it. We want to be in awe of Christ so that we pursue him. Where are we doing it and where are we going in the future? How does this help us become be in awe of Christ? Okay, the most powerful, most effective, most complete way to see God for who he is today is through his word. You can experience the true God of the universe who's created you and loves you. The best possible way is to do it through his word. 
Psalm 19 talks about this. If you want to turn there, we're going to read the first eight verses. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. Night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, there, there, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth. Their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber. And like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the ends of the heavens, its circuit to the end of them. There's nothing hidden from its heat. So he's talking about how God reveals himself. It's called general revelation. And the first six verses here, the general revelation is what? His creation. And his creation shouts the name of our God. And general revelation is powerful for us to learn about who made everything. But general revelation will leave us short because it doesn't give us specifics. It tells us who, that God, a creator God, made everything. But it tells us nothing about Christ. And in verse 7, it's almost as let me let me tell you the better way or the more complete way. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. God's word is the best place for us to learn and to hear and to experience a God who wants to speak with us. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word is alive. And so for us as a church, what are we doing currently? We want to teach God's word. When I preach, I want to preach God's word. I don't want to come up with my own ideas. I want this book to be the basis of what I communicate. And it's not about whether or not I like what's being said. It's that since this book is God's word, it's completely true in everything that it says, that this will drive the teaching ministry of this church. This is what we're currently doing. It's what our ministries do. We, we value this book, and so to passionately pursue him and to be in awe of him, we learn through this book. But we're not, we haven't arrived. We want to continue to pursue this book and knowing God in this book. We're going to start a series next Sunday on the book of Ephesians. I like going through books of the Bible because I'm not the one picking the topics. The Bible speaks for itself. The Bible drives the message. It's not my thoughts or my opinions on it. We want to continue to go deeper in God's word. I'm, in, I'm seeing our Sunday morning classes that are starting at 9 a.m. The heart behind those classes is we want you to grow deeper in your faith. We want you to go maybe a different direction. Maybe that's an apologetics class or maybe a parenting class or maybe you want to study Ephesians and James in one of the classes that we're offering. 
the heart of the Sunday morning classes is we want you to go deeper in the study of God's word. And that may be a topic, that may be Bible study, but the heart of those classes in the morning are so that you would go deeper. Worship. Worship. Okay, worship is simply us responding, responding to who God is with our attitudes and our actions and our thoughts and words. And worship is us just overflowing the value and the awe that we found in Christ. And we want to continue to worship. Worship's not just singing. It's not just Sunday morning singing. Through prayer, through fellowship, through our time with one another, we want to be committed to worship. And so we're going to continue singing songs that reflect the nature of Christ on Sunday morning. Our kids and students are going to be worshiping through what they do. We want to continue to do this in the future. If you, if you looked at the Sunday night events, we've got different prayer nights and praise nights and worship nights and different things that we're going to be doing because worship is important for us because it helps us to respond to the awe that we have found in Christ. Worship is just overflow. Singing because we are in awe of who Christ is. Service. How does this help us to be in awe of Christ? How does service do this? Why is service so important? Well, when you serve, you learn something about Jesus that you can't learn through reading the Bible. When you, when you live like Jesus lived, you experience something that just reading about it, you can't experience. Jesus' entire life was focused and centered around what? Serving the people around him. That's what he did. He didn't come to be the king, to be bowed down to. He came to serve. And so we, we learn about the awe and the beauty of what Christ has done for us, not by reading about service, by actually doing it. And you can learn things about serving on Sunday mornings that you can't learn throughout the week. And so we want to give you opportunities to serve and to learn about what it means to humbly put ourselves under other people. Where are we serving currently? Like, how are we doing this right now? Well, there are people who are missing this service to serve. Like, your children are being taught God's word right now. And there are people every week who literally sacrifice coming into a service to worship and to hear God's word so that they can serve. And we want everyone to be serving. Like, it's a miss in my mind if you just come in here every single week and you never serve, you're missing something. Yeah, you're going to learn great things. You're going to worship. But if you're not serving, you're missing a key part about the life of Jesus. And there, there are more opportunities to serve. Like we do not have enough helpers. With these new classes that are starting next Sunday, the Bible classes, more people are coming to those classes, which means more child care, more teaching so we need your help as we serve and learn about Christ who served for us. Community. Community, okay? Let me read the statement that's in our um, constitution about community. It says, the Bible describes believers as members of a body where we can do life together. Where everyone can be vulnerable, honest, accountable, and authentic. God's desire is for people to not live in isolation but to live in godly relationships. How does this help us be in awe of Christ? 
Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. Okay, fellowship is community. To the breaking of bread and the prayers, and guess what came upon them? Awe. And awe came upon them. The first church in Acts 2 devoted themselves to this deep community and fellowship. And what was the result of that community? They were in awe of Christ. When we love in community, vulnerable, honest, and praying and helping for each other, again, we learn something about Christ that we can't learn sitting in our seats. When you learn in a small group of people how to care for someone who's struggling, you learn something about what Jesus has done that you can't learn just through reading. How do we, how do, we do this? Life groups. We've got these smaller groups of people, and we're, we're a big enough church that it's hard to get to know everybody in this room, right? It's hard to, to share sometimes on a Sunday morning. How are you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Yeah, nice to see you. You know, the, just the Sunday morning kind of greetings. Life groups are designed so that we can be smaller, we can be a smaller church, so that you can know people's names. The focus, the heart of life groups is that community. Like when you are struggling, let's say you're struggling, someone has passed away in your family and you need something, your life group should be the one that you call to. Galatians 6.2, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. I picture that and I've experienced that in life group where I am carrying a burden. Something has happened in the family and I can't handle it. And it is my life group that surrounds me and encourages me and sends us meals and prays and sends me a text message. We as a whole church, it's hard to do that on a Sunday morning. But life groups really are the place of community. And we want you to be in a life group so that you can know someone's name and know their struggles and know how you can pray for them. And this is where life groups this is why we do life groups. And so if you want to join a life group, Ray is going to be around after the service. He wants to help you get plugged in, and we're starting our life groups. We're starting new life groups. This is the heart, though, of this community piece. And when you're in community, you learn about Christ and what he's done for us, how he's carried our burden for us. Then lastly, missions. Jesus calls us to make disciples as we go about our daily lives. We should be faithful in sharing the gospel of peace where we are and wherever we go. There may be nothing more enriching in your personal faith journey than sharing Christ with somebody else. There may be nothing more moving in your own walk than talking to someone about your relationship with Christ. Why? Why is that so? Because when we start talking about it, what happens? We realize we have no idea what we're saying. Like, uh, I don't know the answers to your questions. And so when we're talking to others about our relationship with God, we realize we've got to grow deeper, and this causes us to go deeper with Christ. If we are going to be a, a community that is centered on and focused on missions, we learn about Christ and what he's done for us. Where are we doing this currently? We support missionaries all over the world. And I love that we support missionaries. We are a giving church. We give money 
lots of money to people who are literally sharing the gospel all over the world. And it's wonderful. We do events that focus on this community. I'm learning about some of these events, the trunk or tree and the sportsman's banquet and different things where we invite our community into this, onto this piece of property and we try to connect with them and share the gospel with them. But we haven't arrived, right? We can do this more. We can do this differently and better and more creatively. How are we passionately pursuing sharing with others that Christ pursued them? If that's the starting point, this has to be the heartbeat of the church. This is where you have to start. And so I'm excited about thinking through how we can do this. I want to train and teach about how to, to share your faith. I'm going to do different events, and some of them are coming up on Sunday nights, where we invite people to this, to this church and we share the gospel with them. We have an Easter outreach. We're doing a Christmas program. We want to continually be creative Try new things and see, okay, are people responding to the gospel because of this event? It's exciting. This is exciting. We as a church want to walk next to you as you passionately pursue Christ. We want to help you do this. We want to help you be in awe of Christ. And if you have questions about how we're doing this or what's the next step for you, maybe it's a life group, maybe it's a relationship with Christ. Maybe it's a service opportunity. If you're like, you know what, I'm just not there yet. Maybe if you, you want to talk more about it, these are the things that we're doing. And I believe you should be doing all of these things. You should be serving. You should be connected in community, reading God's word. And if we can help you do that, we would love to talk to you about that. We're excited about what's ahead. We're excited about moving forward with this direction and seeing how God works. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today, for the truth that you pursued us so that we can pursue you. And God, I pray for these, for the people here this morning, God, that as we reflect on our own lives and we reflect on where we are with you, God, I pray that you would work, your spirit would convict, and that we would know that it's your spirit leading us. And that as we grow in our walk with you and passionately pursuing you, God, we would consider a next step. What is the next step? But God, more than anything, more than steps or to-do lists, God, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts to be in awe of the God of the world who did something for our situation. We want to be in awe of you. Help us, Father. Open our eyes. We love you, Father. We thank you for today. It's in the name of your Son we pray. Amen.